am fully aware uh, that uh, as I look out my little window here, I feel like I'm in the bottom of a ship. I've got a little porthole. But as I look out the little porthole here, I can see the snowflakes continuing to fall. And I say that because when I got up this morning at our usual time, my wife and I usually get up early on Sunday mornings. And so um, we got up this time and I looked out the window expecting, waiting to see if there was snow. And sure enough, it had just started to snow. And um, there's sort of two sides to this. And I'm trying to explain this because I want to say what I feel like the Lord has placed in my heart. Um, you kind of question sometimes, okay, Lord, it's snowing outside. What are we doing? It's another Sunday. It's people are, and that's sort of my initial reaction, right? I guess maybe you could say that's Joel talking. It's Sunday. It's snowing. I'm sure most of you, and let's be honest, don't sit there in your, in your halo. Put your halo and wings down for a second. Most of us sometimes we go, it's snowing. I would rather sit here and drink coffee and look outside. And so I'm challenged today in a big picture. Because whether it's snowing outside or it's sunny outside, whether it's the winter or it's the summer, I'm challenged because I have to look at several things. And that is this. I've been doing this now, I'm, I, and I say this, it's not a cliche, it's legit. I've, I've been doing this my entire life. And I have, and it's, I'm not saying this is a good thing, please do not take this as I'm saying this is a good thing. I am someone sometimes that struggles with doing just to do. I, I'm, I just struggle sometimes. I'm a, I've said this numerous times. I am sort of uh, skeptical by nature. I'm inquisitive. I am um, argumentative. Don't say, there's no amen needs to come from right over there. My wife is sitting right there. She's looking at me. She's giving a big amen. She actually just got up, ran around the room shouting when I said that. I'm argumentative. There's things about me that don't lend itself too well to just doing things to do. Um, I'm not somebody that just likes checking off boxes. Um, I'm not saying that's a good thing. Please don't take that as, wow, that's great. I don't know necessarily it's great because Jesus has spent a lot of time, especially the last 10 months, beating some of that out of me. So I don't think it's a good thing. But what it does lend itself to is, is that in a moment like today, I got to step back and go, okay, wait a minute. All right. What are we doing? What are we doing? You're sitting there today in your living room, your bedroom, wherever you are, whatever you, or maybe you're on the way to work. I don't know where you are, but you're listening today. And maybe I'm asking that for you. Why are you here? Well, it's Sunday, right? I got I to gotta go. This is what we're supposed to do on Sunday. But I got to be frank with you. I don't think that's a good enough reason. In fact, there's nowhere in the Bible that says Sunday is the day that we're supposed to gather. In fact, the Sabbath was not on Sunday. So we can't even say Sunday is biblical. It's what our society has come to accept as the normal day by which we set aside. Usually people are off Sunday, the cadence of our week. Sunday sets up as a day that's set aside. And now because of tradition and things that have been passed down from generation to generation, Sunday, therefore, has become the day that we set aside 
to engage in our spiritual duties for the week. But I got to step back for a second and maybe look bigger before we get back into answering that question. And I'm really trying to go somewhere today for just a minute. Because I grew up most of my life until just recently. I grew up my entire life with one desire. And that was to be saved. When I was a child, I remember... uh, I, and I'm talking about, I'm not talking about like a baby, but I'm talking about somewhere in that 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13. I remember having times of sincere, in-depth prayer, asking God, Lord, save me, save me, save me. I remember as a teenager, there's a song that we used to sing growing up. Some of you know, it's still, I still love the song, even though I'm starting to wondering, okay, what's, is this really a true biblical song? But There's a song we used to sing that said, For above all else, I must be saved. And it goes on to say, Whatever you have to do to me, Lord, don't let me be lost for eternity. For above all else, I must be saved. And I remember singing that song with a sincerity of heart. And I'd be weeping and I'd say, God, save me. Whatever you got to do to save me, save me. I still feel that way today. I'm not negating the feeling of that. Uh, Paul mentioned that as well. Paul said, Woe be it unto me if I preach the gospel, but find myself a castaway. So I understand that aspect. I'm not negating the aspect of we, I, you, maybe if you're here today, there's some desire to be saved. But as I've gotten older and I have been doing this now for uh, 40 years, and I start to go, okay, wait a minute, I've been doing this same thing over and over again, and I'm starting to dig deeper, because I believe there's got to be more. There's got to be more. I know you may not think it, I may know, you may not even be hungry for it, but I know, for me, this can't be all that it's out, this can't be it. If it is, my goodness, I gotta be frank with you, we've been sold really, really Short. This is oversold because this is not what I see the Bible represents. So there's got to be more. So I look at it and go, okay, if there's got to be more, then what, what am I missing here? And so um, I used to sing that song, for above all else, I must be saved. But then several years ago, the Lord began to deal with me. And I began to kind of ask the question, is that really, truly Is this really, truly all about being saved? Is it really, truly all of this coming Sunday mornings and got involved in a small group, uh, being involved in other activities in the church, reading my Bible, praying, seeking God, all these things. Is it really simply so that I can end up saved? And I really honestly have to ask that question and I have to go, I don't know. I don't think so. Because here's why I say that. If it really was about me being saved, then God is a little cruel and unjust because let's be honest, this stuff right here, right here, this stuff that when I pinch it, it hurts. This is called flesh, right? We all know the, 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 the dark side of flesh. We all know those inner 
skeletons, if you want to call it that day, we have hidden in the closet. We all know that those thoughts and those desires that continue to creep up, it doesn't matter if you've been walking with Jesus for uh, a lifetime, there's still things that you have to continue to suppress. You have to continue to push back. There's things, whether it's things that we would consider to be moral choices, but also things that are as damning as that as pride and our own self-will. There's things in us that the more we're here on earth, the more I deal with these things, I got to be frank with you, and I'll just say it this way, the more chance I have to mess it up. Because I got to be honest with you, every day I live here and I'm reminded more and more of this person that's inside of me, the junk that's in this frail human man, the more I wonder, my goodness, is there hope for me to be saved? So I can't believe, honestly, this is all about being saved because if it was about being saved, then the moment that I cross into redemption and I'm filled with God's spirit and, I've, and I, have, I have done what the scripture has commanded me to do, then at that time, I need to be eliminated. Jesus Christ should have taken me then. Take me home, country road, to the place where I belong. And it ain't West Virginia. Take me now. Don't leave me here on this earth because, God, i got to be frank with you. The longer you leave Joel down here, the higher likelihood that I'm going to do something to mess it up. I've watched people give their life to Jesus for 10, 20, 30 years. And after 10, 20, 30 years, I see them drift away. I'm not talking about leaving church, quitting church. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about drift away. And I'm seeing, because here's why, I've seen them drift away sitting in church. Not just leaving church. Just because you're sitting in a church today doesn't mean you're connected to Jesus. I've seen people drift away from Jesus in sitting there. I've seen people drift away from Jesus saying amen, lifting their hands in worship, but they're drifting. As, G as Jesus said, you worship me with your hands, but your heart is far from me. So I've got to ask myself, okay, is it really about being saved? That's really what this is about because if it is, Boy, I tell you, there's other ways we could have done this that would have been a lot better. There's a lot of ways that I, I think we could have done this that would have saved more of us because the longer we sit here, the longer we're here, the more chances we have to, to mess it up. Okay, so it's not about being saved. Okay, then what? What is it about? Well, okay, it's about the fact that God wants us to enjoy life. He wants us to have the best life. He wants us to have a life full of peace and joy and happiness and, and have, have a wonderful family and a, a job we enjoy and money to do things. And he wants us to take vacations and he wants us to work and give us strength to make it to retirement. And that's what he wants us to be there. And that's what that's God wants. He wants us to have a life of prosperity and health and all these. That's what God wants. That's why he leaves us here. And then I go, wait a minute. Okay, if that's the case, then why do some people die young and others die old? Why is there pain and suffering in this world? If God wanted us to enjoy the, this life and wanted this life to be perfect and wanted this life to be wonderful, then why doesn't he take away all this stuff in our life? Why not take away sickness? Why not be the cure to cancer, God? Why not take away all of this in our life? 
If it really is about this life and God leaves us here because he wants us to enjoy this life and, and this life is what it's about and he wants you to have the best life you can possibly have and have as much happiness and joy in your life, then honestly, he's doing a really poor job at fulfilling that. And he even didn't really even give us great comfort because he said in the Gospel of John, he said, in this world you shall have tribulation. So he even told us right off the bat, congratulations, but life's not always going to be great. There's going to be pain and problem and pressure and difficulty. There's going to be bad things happen to good people using that terminology. Because if it really is about the fact that, hey, come to, you know, find Jesus. Because you find Jesus, man, everything's going to be perfect. Your life's going to be wonderful. You're going to have more joy and peace. You know what to do with And everything's going to be great. You're never going to have a bad day. And when you do have a bad day, you just go to him. You ask him. He cleans it up. If you have a need, you ask for him and he does it. If, you're, if, you're, if you can't pay your bills, you just go to him and you, you, you say, God, I can't pay my bills. And he provides your needs if you're sick you just go to him and say lord i'm sick today heal me and boom he heals you and it's amazing but yet we know that sometimes you ask and he doesn't always provide we know that sometimes you pray to be healed but yet you stay sick so if it's not about just being saved if that's not the point and it's really not about making this life better. Because let's be frank today. I could come on here today and, and, and in prayer this morning, I'm, I'm asking God, okay, God, what do you want? What do you want to do? What do you want to do? What are you trying to say to us today? And, and, and sort of this thought hit me, right? So I've been now preaching, ministering full time uh, for over 20 years. And I've been a full time pastor now for uh, over about 11, 12 years now, which meaning I'm I'm, I'm expected to minister every week. And so after doing that every week, you know, there's this expectation, well, Sunday's coming, you have to deliver something because people expect something to be delivered. And I remember, especially as a young pastor, and um, I guess some would still consider me a young pastor, but as a, a, a novice pastor, if you could call it that, I remember the pressure I would feel on Sunday mornings having to come up with something. I got There's got to be some. Oh, God, give me something because these people expect something. The stress of having to come up with something fresh and new. But I sit here today and I guess time and experience and also realization, maybe if you could call it that, has lend it to, lend, lend itself to a Another perspective, because I got to be frank with you today. I know I'm not sure who's watching. I say that often because I think you, uh, uh, some of you may may think that I'm watching the, the list of names, who's on, who's not. Honestly, I don't have anything on. In fact, I can't even reach the, the equipment anymore. My, uh, my daughter now has become our technical producer. She helps because I can't even reach the equipment. So I don't know who's watching today, but I will just guess based off the fact that I know humans are watching today. That every one of you has something in your life right now that you're dealing with. 
It may not be the greatest trial of your life, but there's something in your life, whether it's physical pain, emotional pain, whether it's financial, whether it's family, uh, into, you know, whether you're dealing with hurt of the past, worry about the present, concern over the future. There's something right now in your life that is at the forefront. Whatever it is, and for all of us, it's probably something different. Some of you today, it might be the physical pain. It might be dealing with, maybe you're dealing with COVID. Maybe you're dealing with the after effects of COVID. Maybe you're dealing with the fear of COVID. Maybe you're dealing with financial situations. Maybe this uh, last uh, 10, 12 months of this pandemic has left you financially at a brink of breaking and you don't know if you're going to make it. You don't know if you're going to pay your bills. There's many things that could be. Maybe your family is in a moment of peril. Maybe your marriage, maybe your relationship with your children, maybe your relationship with your parents, maybe there's friction at work. Maybe there's numerous things. Maybe your car's broken down. Whatever it might be, there may be numerous things today across the vastness of the uh, uh, demographics that are watching today that are at play. But if somehow, some way, God could give me some powerful word that could call down lightning from heaven and strike all of you right where you are with a jolt of power. If somehow, some way that God could just come right there in your living room or your, or your, your dining room or uh, your kitchen or your bedroom or wherever you are, sitting, wherever you are, sitting on your back porch, wherever you're watching today. And God could somehow come in there and just blum, just a jolt of power, shake you, oh man. And all of a sudden you just stand up and everything that you're dealing with right now, boom, gone. I don't think there's one of us today that would believe that that means nothing else is going to happen. More than likely, it just means that that problem solved, which only makes room for another problem. But yet I still see Christians, believers, followers of Jesus Christ, who continue to chase the proverbial myth that somehow, if I keep seeking God, everything is going to be made right. We recently got a dog, and uh, I'm new to dogs. Before we got our dog in August, got to be frank with you, not really a dog guy. Apparently now I'm considered a dog dad. I don't know if I'm comfortable yet being a dog dad. People say, oh, you're a dog dad. I'm like, huh? I, I don't know what that means. I'm kind of, it makes me kind of, I don't know. I, my, my wife's a dog mom and I'm a dog dad. I'm not sure I'm quite there yet, but I do, I do like our little fella. I do. He is, he, he's definitely worn me down. I, I'm As funny as it sounds, I know some of you right now, especially animal lovers, are probably rolling your eyes or wanting to throw something at the camera. Honestly, until we bought our dog in August, I had never held a dog. And I remember the first time we brought him home, I had no choice because he was a puppy. I had to pick him up. I'm like holding this dog going, okay, all right. 
the first night we had him here, we were nervous and, you know, you're trying to figure out how to help this puppy and he sleeps about every only 30 minutes at a time and you know you're up every few minutes if you've ever dealt with the puppy world and so my wife and I decided to sleep on the couch right next to the door so he could go out to go to the bathroom and so I was introduced to the puppy world and now to the dog world now he's seven months old and you know we're we're adopt we're adapting to the dog world he went out today this morning and he got the experience snow he was eating snow licking snow flopping around in the snow he is a Bernese mountain dog he's half Bernese mountain dog so I guess maybe there was this inward calling home to the mountains uh, interior maybe he was like mom I'm coming home I don't know but he loved the snow I said all that not talk about the dog I said because I've watched him and every dog probably does it but I get to watch it firsthand now it's amazing to me to watch him chase his own tail. I often wonder, I, thought, I go, Shadow, don't you realize that's your tail? Because what's amazing is if he grabs his tail, he quickly realizes, wait a minute, that's my tail, and I don't want to bite it because it hurts. But he still chases it. He'll go round and round a circle, chasing his tail. I don't know if it's something he likes to do, if there's an expectation that maybe somehow this is not his tail, and finally he's found a new tail, but he chases his own tail. Most dogs with a longer tail do that. He's got a long tail. It's about this big. I know some dogs don't have tails. I get it. But he chases it. And it's so funny because I watch that, and I go, uh, Hello, Shadow, it's your tail. Knowing that, A, if he catches it, he's probably not going to like it. And, B, he probably will never truly catch it. It's like the proverbial thing. My, I've done it with my kids. My kids have done it with me. And they've asked me, can you kiss your elbow, Dad? Try to kiss your elbow. You ever tried to do that? Silly illustration. But most of us, maybe there's somebody out there that has... That's double, triple jointed. You can do it. I cannot. I can't get. I can try, but I'll never be able to do it. I can chase the tail. I said all that because I think we look like that. When we're when we're when we think all of what we're doing is sunny morning, I gotta go, okay, all right, I've gotta go to, you know, sunny morning, I gotta turn on, I gotta turn on Pastor Joel. I've gotta, I've gotta go somewhere to hear God speak because I've gotta find out how to get my life better. I think we're chasing our tail. Because after 40 years, and there's a lot of you watching today, I know you could testify as good, if not better, than I could. Because you've been walking with Jesus for 20, 30, 40 years. Several on here today, I guarantee you they've been on here longer. Longer than 40. You would probably say you don't remember a time in your life that there wasn't something going on. Some problem, some difficulty, internal, external, something. So, okay, We've eliminated the fact this can't be today because, all right, number one, I got to be saved. Well, if that's the case, then there's other methods we can do that could make sure we're saved. Number one, we'll just go with elimination. Just take me now, Jesus, because I don't want to mess it up. All right, well, that can't be it. Well, number two, I'm here because he wants me to enjoy life and he wants my life to be great and I want my problem. He's going to tell me how to 
I'm going to have to, I'm going to learn how to pray the right prayer so God will answer my prayer so that I can have peace and happiness and everything in my life perfect and everything going right. And we also know that peace and joy in Christ is not dependent upon circumstances or internal condition, but it is a gift given by God because you're his child. Another subject for another day. But it can't be that because it doesn't matter how much I try, how much I seek God, how much I, 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 I apply what's being taught to me, I still have bad days. There's problems in this world. There's difficulties. There's situations that are happening. I've got physical problems. I've got, it's a small thing in the grand scheme of life, but it annoys me. Right now, I'm dealing with plantar fasciitis in my left heel, my left foot. It's not the end of the world. I'm not ready to check myself in the hospital. I get it. But it annoys me. I get up in the morning, and I know I can hear some of you now. Well, that just happens when you're getting old. I'm not old. You be old. I'm not old. I'm in better shape Feel better than I've ever have felt in my life. And that's not a sound. I'm not just quoting a t-shirt. I mean that. So don't give me that. Well, you're getting old. That's what happens. Just wait till your hip and your joints go out of socket. Well, <laughs> Ben Gay worked for me. I guess you could say that. But anyways, it's annoying. It drives me crazy. And uh, some days it's better. I try to do stretching and other things to kind of alleviate the problem. But uh, man, this morning when I woke up, my feet hit the ground. Man, my left foot reminded me real quick. And I, 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 walk, I was walking around this morning, and I know I, I know I hear some of you. You need to wear shoes in the house. You need orthotics. Pray for me. I'm not there yet. <laughs> hey, we got, we got laughing in the peanut gallery over here. Easy. I don't wear slippers in the house. I don't wear shoes. I know some of you are like, well, if you have hardwood floors, you need orthotics. You're making the problem worse. Okay, I understand that. Help me. Pray for me. Let's see. You have nothing else to do today. You can pray for me while it snows. Anyways, I walked around this morning, and man, it hurt. I ended up just sitting down. I'm a pacer. My wife will tell you. If I'm on the phone, I'm walking. I'm pacing. I don't know. It's just, I'm a hyper little fella, so... Walking, pacing. If I'm talking to you on the phone, especially if it's more than five minutes, guarantee I'm probably walking around. I don't know what it is. I walk and talk. And so I like to walk and pray. But in this morning, I, I try to walk around a little bit. And I'm like, man, this ain't working. I sit down. Now, I know. I get it. I understand. I've got a heavenly father who loves me. I have a heavenly father who's the great physician. I have a heavenly father who died for me, loves me. I get all that. And I could say, Father, I pray now in your name that I speak to this plantar fasciitis. I rebuke it in Jesus' name. Fasciitis. I'm trying to think. My wife's correcting me. I know some of you are like, it's not. Okay, let's just plantar. I'm just going to say plantar. Thank you, Kate. <laughs> We need to span the camera over there so you can see her face. So, Lord, I speak to this plantar. I, I curse it, command it to be healed. I guess I could do that, but God's not a, magi a magician. 
I don't believe I have a Heavenly Father that's sitting up there going, well, you know what? Suffer, Joel, suffer. Suffer. How's the pain, buddy? I don't believe I have a Heavenly Father. I believe he knows what's going on in my foot. Again, minor thing, not the end of the world. There's greater issues going on in people right now than my little plantar in my left foot. I get it. I'm not trying to make it. I'm making the statement that Is it really just so that I can learn how to pray? God, heal my foot. Oh, great. My foot's great. Heals great. Tomorrow I may wake up, my shoulder hurts. I'm actually not being facetious. I have a shoulder problem. Oh, Lord, heal my shoulder. Thank you, Jesus. Heal my shoulder. Praise the Lord. I wake up and guess what? I had reconstruction surgery on my hip in 2013. Guess what? I wake up on Tuesday morning, my hip's going to hurt. Oh, Jesus, heal my hip. Oh, my hip feels good. Wake up on... Wednesday morning, my back hurts. Oh, Jesus, heal my back. Wake up Thursday, my knees hurt. Oh, Jesus, heal my knees. Wake up on Friday, and the ankle that I destroyed when I was a kid in a tractor accident, it starts to hurt. Oh, Jesus, heal my ankle. Wake up Saturday, and I got this root canal that I've had done twice on my one tooth in the back, and it's failed twice. Twice. That I can't even chew on that one side anymore. It's right here. Hurts. Saturday morning, I wake up, it hurts. Oh, God, heal my tooth. Am I really expecting I'm finally going to get to the place where everything is perfect? No. Paul even tried that method. God, take it away. Oh, uh, no. God, take it away. No, God, take it away. God, why won't you take this away? My grace is sufficient, Paul. So it's not about being saved. It's not really about learning how God can take away everything in your life and make it perfect. So what is it really about? Okay, you've convinced me that's not what it's about. Then why are you telling me? Why am I sitting here on a Sunday morning? It's snowing outside. Why am I sitting here listening to you ramble on for 45 minutes? Why can't I just take the Sunday off? What is the purpose of all this? Why am I seeking God? Why do I need to go to small group in a few minutes and engage with other believers and, and, and talk about an iron sharpeneth iron and provoke one another to good works and encourage one another, pray for one another? Is it so that all our lives can be collectively better and we can have all? No. I'm going to give you something. That the Lord spoke to me this morning. John chapter 12. I'm going to read it out of the Passion Translation. Not that I'm a big, huge fan of the Passion Translation. I think there's some theological uh, some theological stuff in the Passion, Passion Translation that gets a little murky. But I do like some of the wording because it's a little more modern language. John chapter 12, verse number 20 in the Passion Translation says this. Now, there were a number of foreigners from among the nations who were worshipers at the feast. They went to Philip, who came from the village of Bethsaida in Galilee, and they asked him, would you take us to see Jesus? We want to see him. So Philip went to Andrew, and they both went to inform Jesus. Now watch this. Get the, this is the key, and this is the whole point, and here's the punchline. I'm not going to be long today, seriously. I'm, uh, this is it. This is the whole crux of what, and I'm going to let the word do the talking. 
There are some people that were there, foreigners, meaning they weren't people that lived in Jerusalem. In fact, the uh, translations talked about they were, they were Greek. What that were, there was, there's kind of different ideas of what they meant. Were they, were they uh, Jews that had been assimilated into the Greek culture and now they were referred to as Greek? Were they actually Greek Gentiles who had become Jewish proselytes that were there worshiping? Were they uh, pagan Greeks that had come to pay homage to Yahweh at the great feast in Jerusalem? We don't know. The Bible doesn't exactly tell us. It just simply says these were foreigners or Greeks, Hellenistic people. And they come up to uh, Philip and they ask a very true question because I'm sure at that point in time they had heard of the rumors of this guy who people were saying may or may not be the Messiah, that he's healing people. Uh, and notice that this has come at the end of this passage of scriptures come after Jesus has just raised Lazarus from the dead. I mean, this is more of a crescendo moment. He just brought a dead guy out of the grave that had been dead so long that he smelled because his body was decomposing. He brought him out of the grave. So this was like the crescendo. He is fed 5,000, fed 4,000, healed the blind, the lame walk, the children have been raised from the dead, uh, uh, miracle upon miracle have taken place. And finally, this, this crescendo miracle in front of pr presumably hundreds of mourners, he calls out, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus comes out of the grave. And we're at this crescendo moment. And it's in this that these, it's the Passover. It's, it's, it's the moments. It's literally just hours before the time where Christ begins his final passion. And these Greeks are questioning, asking, can we see Jesus? Can we see this guy that everybody's talking about? And so they go to Philip and they say, hey, can you take us notice what they said not hey where is jesus can you tell us where he is but they asked philip can you take us to jesus well philip for some reason he goes to find andrew he turns to go find andrew and the bible says both of them went to inform jesus now i there's some things about this that puzzle me Number one, why didn't they just say, okay, hey, look, come with us. We'll take you. But they went to talk to Jesus so that Jesus, I guess, to possibly uh, ask Jesus to come to these Greeks. There was this expectation based off the requests of the Greeks and the actions of Philip and Andrew, that somehow there was this desire for these two sides to meet, and stuck in the middle was Philip and Andrew. And so they get to Jesus, and they're sort of bringing this request to him. And the Bible doesn't say exactly what they asked him. They just informed him, because the very next verse says Jesus replied to them. And replying means they must have asked him Something along the lines of, hey, there's a group of people, they're foreigners, they're Greeks, whatever they are referring to them as. Hey, they'd like to meet you. Would you come see them? And here was his response. Now, we get the picture in our mind, which is true, that Jesus is a loving Savior. He went to the woman in the well. He went to Zacchaeus' house. Uh, there's so much in scriptures that talk about his desire to be engaging. He goes to us. 
So you would expect that in normal response, Philip and Andrew would have said, Jesus, there are foreigners here that want to meet you. They want to find you. They want to, they want to know who you are. And you said, well, take me to them. I'll show them who I am. And Jesus would walk up to the Greeks and he'd heal them as a sign of his messiahship. Or he would say teachings to them. Maybe he'd feed them five loaves and two fishes. Some, that's the expectation that I'm sure maybe Philip and Andrew had. And based off the narrative of this of, up to now, that's the expectation that we would expect that Jesus would have. But watch what Jesus said. So Philip went to Andrew, and they both went to inform Jesus. And he replied to them, Now is the time for the Son of Man to be glorified. Let me make this clear. A single grain of wheat will never be more than a single grain of wheat unless it drops into the ground and dies. Because then it sprouts and produces a great harvest. All because one grain died. The person who loves his life and pampers himself will miss true life. But the one who detaches his life for this world and abandons himself to me will find true life and enjoy it forever. And anytime you see that word forever, it's not talking about the length of this life. When you see anything in scripture where it speaks of forever, that speak of, of an, etern an eternal existence, meaning he will enjoy it forever, meaning it will never end. That's not talking about your life's going to be great from here until you die. It's talking about an eternal existence existence will will find true life and enjoy it forever if you want to be my disciple follow me and you will go where i am going and if you truly follow me as my disciple the follower will shower you with his favor upon your life even though i'm torn within my soul is in turmoil i will not ask the father to rescue me from this hour of trial for i've come to fulfill my purpose to offer myself to god so, Father, bring glory to your name. Then suddenly came a booming voice. Was heard from the sky. I have glorified my name and will glorify it through you again. The audible voice of God startled the crowd standing nearby. Some thought it was only thunder. Yet others said an angel must spoke to have spoke to him. Or an angel just spoke to him. Then Jesus said, the voice you heard was not for my benefit, but for your benefit. To help you believe. From this moment on, everything in this world is about to change. For the ruler of this, dark, of, this, of this dark world will be overthrown. And I will do this when I am lifted up off the ground. And I will draw the hearts of the people to gather them to me. We often quote that because in the King James it says, If I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. We've often taken that to mean if I worship God, that he'll draw. So what do I do? God, you're awesome. I worship you. We lift up God. We start singing songs. We worship with our demonstrative ways of worship. You know, Jesus, Jesus, I got him on my mind. Jesus, Jesus, I got him on my mind. Well, can't nobody do me like Jesus. Can't nobody ooh, do me like the Lord. Ooh, bless that wonderful name of Jesus, oh, bless that wonderful name of Jesus. I've come to bless that wonderful name of Jesus. Oh, no other name I know. I love those songs. 
But that's not what this verse is talking about. It's not saying if you lift up the name of Jesus, all of a sudden people are going to go, oh, they're worshiping. Let's go find Jesus. This passage gives us one of the clearest insights into why we're here and why we're doing this on a Sunday when it's snowing outside instead of us all just taking the day off. Because when Jesus was approached by Andrew and Philip, and they say to him, Jesus, there's a group of Greeks that are here, and they need you. His response back to them was something that gives you and I the greatest insight into what Jesus Christ wants to do. He made this statement, if a grain of wheat falls in the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it dies, it bringeth forth much fruit. If you try to save your life, keep your life perfect. I like how the, the, the uh, uh, Passion Translation puts it. Let me pull it back up here for a second to make sure I get it correct. But I love it. It says it. Uh, the person who, lo who loves his life and pampers himself will miss true life. Man, is that not true? Well, we love to be pampered. We don't call it pamper. I know some of you macho men, I don't like to be pampered. But you do. You have your favorite rocking chair. You've got your chair. You got your lazy boy. You don't get pampered at the spa, but you like to be pampered. You just don't call it pampering. You call it pampering. You call your hammock a pampering or your favorite rocking chair pampering or your tent. It's still pampering. I know it's not ladies pampering with their, their manis and petties and their strawberries, but it's still pampering. Come on, fellas. We know that. Sometimes for us fellas, pampering is sitting there on a couch with a big bag of our favorite snack watching football. That's a man's thing. No, it's pampering. Come on, let's be honest. We ain't burning any calories doing that. It's pampering. He says, anybody loves your life, desires to pamper, will miss true life. His response puzzles some, but it speaks to the true essence of why we're here. Because Jesus said, That it's his desire that not any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. We know that his last commands that he leaves his disciples before ascending into heaven were go into this world and preach the gospel. And his last command was go to Jerusalem until you're a dude with power high, that you become witnesses. Why am I here? Why am I doing this on a Sunday morning? Why can't I be doing something else? And so because of that, when my life's going good, I don't really need to come Sunday. I'm okay. I don't need that. I don't need to pray. But my life's going bad. Come on, pastor. Tell me something I need. Show me something I need. Give me something deep today. I need it because I'm messed up. No, it's not that way at all. Why am I here? I'm here. Because every day, it's God's desire that I decrease and that he de increases. That Joel gets a little lower and he gets a little higher. He gets a little lower. I get a little lower. He gets, if he is lifted up, not through worship, if he's lifted up in my life, meaning if he becomes more of what you see, then he will draw all men unto him. I'm not trying to win people to myself. I'm not trying to get you to like me. 
I'm hoping somehow that today something is said, something is done that makes me a little more like Jesus so that people see a little more Jesus and a little less Joel. Why? Why am I here? Because God desires that your neighbor, that your family, that your coworkers, that the people that you come in contact with every day, that they have a chance to see the light that saved you, to see the light that set you free, to have a chance to experience what you experienced when you were called out of darkness into the marvelous light, when you were filled with the Spirit, baptized in His beautiful, precious, wonderful name, to experience that. It's not so that you are saved, that we can all come together in a room together and sing a few songs and dance and shout and high-five each other and hear somebody give us inspiring word about how great we are and that we're going to make it to heaven. That's not why we're here. We're left here because there is 7.8 billion people that deserve a chance. And God's looking for somebody that's willing to be a grain of wheat to fall in the ground and die. You know what he was really doing? That message wasn't just about a philosophical idea. He looked at Peter and Andrew and said, here's the problem, boys. You want me to go to them. But if I go to them, I can only go to them. But here's what I'm trying to do. In just a few minutes, I'm going to die like a grain of wheat in the ground. And then I'm not only going to be with you, I'm going to be in you. So you know what, Philip and Andrew? I'm not going to them because I'm going to commission you to go to them. I'm not going to have to go to them physically because wherever you go, I'll be there with you. If you follow me, if you walk with me, I will be in you. That was one of the first times Jesus challenged Philip and Andrew to think beyond the moment. Hey, guys, we're not just talking about, I can, I can go to the Greeks right now. I can say, hey, guys, how you are? But it's my desire. There's more Greeks out there. There's more people out there than just these. And if I can die in this ground, I will multiply. So there would be a great harvest. God's not trying to pamper your life, make it perfect, everything problem, pressure-free. He's actually not just trying to save you. Does he want to save you? Yes, but he's not just here to save you. He's trying to find some people that are willing to fall on the ground and die that he might be lifted up because there are people that are looking for him. 7.8 billion people. I know the question. I, 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 look at, I can do the math, right? 7.8 billion people. Like, how in the world with 7.8 billion people can we make a, can we make a difference. I leave you with this. There was a couple walking the beach one day. And uh, as they got further down, they noticed that scattered all over the beach, close to the water's edge, were starfish. And they began to notice as they looked up that the beach was absolutely covered with starfish that had somehow been washed to shore but had no ability to get back in the water. And so these starfish were laying there helplessly on the sand, flopping around, not being able to make it back in the water. And if something wasn't done, they were going to die. They couldn't live outside of the water. And so this couple looked at the, the absolute enormous enormity of the moment. And, and they looked at each other and they kind of looked at the, the problem. They could see as far as they could see, there were starfish and they kind of, had an unspoken agreement with one another. How in the world can we do anything? We can't possibly take care of all these starfish. There's too many. It's two of us. 
And when they looked up again, they saw a man farther down the beach, and they could tell he was bending over. And he'd pick up and bend over and pick up. And so they, they walked it down, make, maybe thinking he had a solution. And they got closer. They realized he's picking up a starfish, throwing it back in the water. Picking up a starfish, throwing it back in the water. Picking up another starfish, throwing it back in the water. And they got closer and they said, sir, sir, what are you doing? He said, I'm, I'm, I'm saving the starfish. And they looked at him and said, look around. There's, there's thousands, tens of thousands. It's just you and us two. What possible difference can you, we make by the time we even get close? They're all going to die. And, and, and you're just being able right now to throw one in. It, what does it matter? What, what, what does it matter? What's, what's the point? And at that time, the man picked up another starfish. And he looked at that starfish and he showed that starfish to a couple and said, it may not matter to all of them. But it matters to this one. He threw it back in the water. Picked up another one and said, it matters to this one. Threw it back in the water. God hasn't called me to save the world. What can I do? I'm a man. I'm stuck here in my house with a mask on, using hand sanitizer. I'm told by people smarter than me, if I go outside and interact with anybody, I may get a, get a disease that could take my life. I'm told every day, got a distance, got to stay away from people. What difference can I make in a world that we're increasingly told stay away? But for that one, it matters to them. I'm so thankful today that someone, it mattered enough to someone that they, they connected with me. They befriended me. They brought the message to me. I'm thankful today that some little girls way down on a dirt road in Mississippi some 80 years ago almost saw a little girl poor with a blind mother standing there on dirt floors no money nothing to give nothing to care nothing to show for life but these little girls were out and they found this little girl living on this dirt floor in this little town in Mississippi on a dirt road and they showed her Jesus and that little girl found Jesus that little girl grew up and she had another little girl and that little girl found Jesus And several years later, that little girl had a boy. And thankfully, that little boy has found Jesus. I'm sitting here today because somebody showed Jesus to a little girl on a dirt floor in a small little town in Mississippi on a dirt road. Yeah, it wasn't the millions, but for that one, it mattered. For that one, it mattered. Why are we here today? Why are we doing this on a snow? Why are we about to go to small group? For our own benefit, no, there's something greater. We're true, truly becoming more like Jesus, following him, that we can decrease, that he might increase. If I be lifted up, I will draw men. 
Father, our prayer today is that we would decrease, that you may increase, that the world around us may see you and not see me. Don't let them see Joel. Let them see you. Don't let them hear Joel. Let them hear you. When I smile at the clerk behind the counter at the local gas station, don't let that smile be from Joel, but let that smile penetrate their heart because it's your love, not me. Because if that's not the answer, then we, I don't know what else the answer would be because nothing else makes sense to why we're here. Why am I here? Why am I praying? God, I want to be like you. I want to be like Jesus. He says, you're going to be like me. I want to make you in my image. I want to show you. I want you to reflect me. Why? So we can walk around high-fiving each other. Man, you look great. Boy, you look like Jesus today. I know, man, don't I? You look like Jesus too. Well, we all look like Jesus today. We're killing it. Really? It's not so we can all tout our good works. It's so that as we reflect him, the light shines into the darkness around us. That through that light, people would be brought to a chance to find the same light that set you and I free. If that's not what this is all about, I got to be frank with you. I don't know what we're doing. If that's not what the church is here for, I don't know what we're doing. Oh, the church is here to withstand the evil of the world. Really? Really? Yes, there's a part of that I believe. There's scripture the Bible talks about the church standing in the gap. But why are we standing in the gap? We're standing in the gap to give a space of time and grace for those to make a decision. Not so that we can be the champions of justice, so that we can be the light to the darkness. Light and salt. That's what we're supposed to be. That's what you're supposed to That's why you're here. That's what you're supposed to be doing. That's what you're doing here today. Because today it's like, Lord, what area of my life does it need to be sanded down a little bit? What area of my life needs to be removed? Where can I be more like you in my life? Where can I be more like you today? Where can Joel be removed and you be higher today? Some days I don't always get that balance right, but every day, where can you decrease that? Where can I decrease that you might increase? Why am I trying to do this? So that I can become Joel, the great speaker of truth and God's word. No, it's because I believe that God has left me here because there's people out there that need the opportunity that you and I have. Father, I thank you today. Lord, only you and you truly know that what I've said today has only come from you. I sincerely only seek to speak you in your words, nothing more, nothing less. Father, I pray that the words that have spoken today would have life, would have truth, that would penetrate our heart, that we would see the truth of your word, and what you're trying to say, that you're desperate to show us who you are, but not for our benefit, but desperate to show us who you are so that you can flow in our lives and through our lives. I pray today that the light of revelation would be shined in our eyes. I pray, Father, today that you would open up our eyes that we could see and know and understand. I bind every spirit of religious tradition. I bind every spirit of religious blindness. I bind every spirit of tradition that would keep us locked into one way and one thought. But God, you would 
set us free today that we could see the truth of who you are and what you're about, that we could connect with you. You said your burden is easy. Your yoke is easy. Your burden is light. That we could connect with you and that we would decrease, that you might increase. Show us today in each one of our lives the areas that you're trying to decrease us in, not to punish us, not to put us down, but because it's your desire that you would shine in us in a greater way every day. I pray these things, I speak these things in your precious and beautiful name. Praise God in Jesus' name. I love you today. Thank you for being a part. I, if you Please be a part of a small group. Go engage. Let's provoke one another. Let's encourage one another. Let's be iron sharpeneth iron that we can become light and salt in this world. God bless you. Snowing outside, but small groups are still going. Right at home, a snowy, wintry right at home tonight, 7.30. Tuesday talks uh, on Tuesday at 7.30. God bless you. Be safe. Go in Jesus' name, and we'll see you again next Sunday morning. God bless.